We're talking about inspiration this morning. And we're talking about inspiration. I came up with this topic, you know, as we started kind of outlining what I would do with this sports series. I, this, was a, this was a story that I learned as a junior high kid that I have never forgotten. Keep in mind, it's raised in the Midwest, so that wasn't necessarily that much of a stretch to hear a story like this about a guy by the name of George Gipp. George Gipp um, was, uh, was born and raised in a mining town in the upper peninsula of Michigan, Larium, Michigan, which is right at the base, almost as a little sliver of a peninsula that goes up into, juts up into Lake Superior. And that's where he was raised. And he went to Notre Dame in 1916. Um, Newt Rockne, or Canute Rockne, the coach, however you want to say that, I've heard it both ways actually, um, saw him just kicking the ball and throwing the football around. He wasn't even recruited to play football. Um, and uh, said, this, guy, this guy's got some talent. So he played at Notre Dame from 1917 to 1920. Uh, the record for those three years that he played, 23-2-2 uh, two and two in the years that he played. Now get this. For, uh, okay, football fans are going to think I'm being a little elementary here, but just bear with me, all right, because we do have a varied crowd, both some non-football fans and we have some international folks and, you know, they got some weird idea that football is soccer or some stupid thing like that. But anyway, so I need to explain a couple of these things. Um, he held rushing, real quick, non-football fans. Rushing is, you know, when the quarterback takes the ball and he hands it to somebody and he runs down the field. It's called rushing yardage, okay? And they keep track of that. And, you know, if they have a, over 100 yards a game or something, it's, it's considered pretty, pretty good. Um, get this. George Gipp had a rushing record at Notre Dame, a, a football school, a football machine. Are you kidding? Um, he had a rushing record that lasted for over 50 years. It was just broken in 1978. That sounds like a long time ago. Doesn't sound like that was that long ago to me. But um, he, it lasted until ni- for over 50 years. He had a record, a uh, rushing record that lasted that long. There's another thing, non-football fans. There's a thing called a defensive back. A defensive back is the guy that's back there trying to keep the quarterback from throwing the pass to one of his receivers. And they call those guys defensive backs. Now they call them cornerbacks and all kinds of other nickel, whatever. Uh, we normally call those defensive backs. George Gipp played both ways. He also played defensive back. This is unheard of, unheard of. In the three years that he played at Notre Dame, no one ever completed one pass in the area that he was defending. Never, not one, not one time in three years that he even completed a little pass. This guy was pretty amazing. I mean, that's just, that's, for those of you who are football fans, that's just phenomenal. Um, he was a, kind of a charming rogue type, liked to gamble a little bit, kind of a character. He would gamble, play little cards, take the money, give it to students at Notre Dame who needed money. He was that kind of a guy, just a real charmer, you know, and, and a character as well. They called him the Gip, George Gip. They called him the Gipper, excuse me. They called Gip the Gipper. Yeah, they made a movie about, well, they made a movie in 1940. It was called Newt Rockne, All-American. Uh, a guy by the name of Pat O'Brien played Newt Rockne. And some second-rate actor by the name of Ronald Reagan played um, George Gipp, the Gipper. That's why some of you, when I first started telling people I was going to be telling the story of the Gipper, I, had, I can't tell you how many people said, to me, oh, Ronald Reagan? You're going to talk about Ronald Reagan in a sports series? because he was known as the Gipper. And the reason he said in the last convention, the last Republican convention that they nominated him for his second term was go out and win one for the Gippers because that was, uh, as it ended up probably, other than bedtime for Bonzo, probably ended up being his uh, leading, leading role in the movie industry. Um, 
November the 20th, 1920, and Notre Dame is playing Northwestern. And uh, it's a nasty rain, kind of like a day we had yesterday, kind of rainy and chilly. And um, George Gipp ends up getting what we now would call strep throat. That ends up going in and, and getting worse, and he ends up getting pneumonia. Um, and as a result, as, 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 a, as a 25-year-old on December the 14th, 1920, he died um, shortly after his last game, which was less than a month before. This next little thing that I will, um, that I will read to you, you, you may have heard maybe in the movie Rudy, uh, or maybe if you had the opportunity to see that movie, it's not on DVD, but uh, the movie Newt Rockne, All-American, 1940 movie. Um, these words were pretty much immortalized in Notre Dame history. But on his deathbed, the Gipper is talking to his coach, Newt Rockne. And he says this, I've got to go, Rock. It's all right. I'm not afraid. Sometime, Rock, when the team is up against it, when things are wrong and the brakes are beating the boys Tell them to go in there with all they've got and win just one for the Gipper. I don't know where I'll be then, Rock, but I know I'll know about it, and I'll be happy. Rock sort of tucked that away in the back of his mind a little bit. And the right time to use that story was in 1928 at Yankee Stadium. And uh, Notre Dame is 4-2. and two. They are playing an undefeated, number one-ranked Army team, I know this sounds weird, but in those days, Army, and Army that was the, the best team going. They had what they called the Four Horsemen and some other things. They were, just, they were the toughest team ever. And uh, at halftime, Notre Dame's just getting killed. Coach Rockney pulls out this out of his memory bank, so to speak, and tells the guys this story. And you know the rest of that story, don't you? They went back out, and they just kicked. They just beat. <laughs> uh, they just... They went out and whooped up on Army and ended up winning the game. On, on the inspiration of the Gipper, thus, really, in, 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 at least in, in, in sports folklore history, and maybe even now in the political arena, we come away with that great saying, go out and win one for the Gipper. That's where it came from. And it's a great story. And it's, a, it's just an amazing man. What I think about with, with, with the Gipper is that he had enough presence of mind on his deathbed as a 25-year-old, my goodness, to be able to say, hey, coach, you know, here's what I know and love. That's football. And sometime if you can use my life and what I'm doing, if you can use that to help some others, to inspire some others, go do it. Just to have the presence of mind to do that. And that's, that's what I want to talk about um, this, this morning and really get you to kind of think along those lines with me. I have a, I have a quote for you from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And it goes like this. Our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. Our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. Isn't that good? Isn't that true? Maybe you find that in a wife or a husband. Hopefully, your wife or husband inspires you to be what you could be. Maybe you have a close friend. Maybe you've had a coach or a teacher. Hopefully, maybe a pastor along the way that's inspired you in that way. Father, mother, grandfather, whatever the case may be. Inspiring others to be better, to strive for greater heights, to be more 
than they normally would be. That's inspirational. I believe, as I understand the Bible, that not only is that what Christ is to us, but that's what Christ wants us to be to others. Thus, that's what I want to talk to you about in the remaining minutes that we have. So what I like to do, and those of you who've been here even once or twice, and even if you haven't been here, that's okay, because one of the things you need to know about me, when I'm trying to figure out what something is or what something means, I like to go find out what it isn't. So if I can find out what it's not, then maybe I can go find out what it is. So here's what I did. I started composing a list of things. I was going to just do four or five things of uninspiring qualities. Well, 25 uh, uh, qualities later, and probably about an hour, it didn't take long, really, um, I'm thinking, well, which, which of these do I want to cut? None of them. So here you go. 25 uninspiring qualities of people. We're going to blow through these, okay? Uh, just kind of think along with me. Maybe, maybe you'll put a face to one or two of these. Hopefully it won't be your face, okay, in the mind of somebody else. But we're just going to go through these. All right, you ready? People who are pity parties waiting to happen. People who are petty. People who are stuck. People who are negative. People who don't think. People who are paralyzed by perfectionism. Not to drive you nuts. People who complain. People who whine. People who are repetitive. People who talk mainly about themselves. People who want to give you their children's resume. People who want to give you their grandchildren's resume. You know, you, we've, all, we've all related to that, haven't we? Go back. Um, we've, all, we've all related to that. All they want to talk about is their kids and what they've done. And uh, yada, yada, they're going to do this. Uh, anyway, keep going here. Um, people who want to talk about what they've done. People who want to talk about what they could have done. People who want to talk about what they've never done. People who want to do more talking than listening. People gripped with dysfunction. People who are entitled. People whose kids are too bright to discipline. You ever have that? Stop them. Oh, you know, my kid, just, he doesn't discipline. But he, he's just too bright. I mean, we just can't discipline. He's just too bright. I'm sorry. I'm not buying that one either. That means my kids had the IQ of three. But, um, which they didn't, by the way. I just want you to know that. One of, them, one of them's here, and her IQ is even higher than mine. So well, there you go. Um, which is the way it should be, isn't it? Okay, here we go. People whose kids are too bright to discipline. People who have problems that no one else ever had. You ever have anybody like that? Nobody else has ever had this problem. I've had people say that to me more than once. But, you know, I'm going to tell you a problem nobody else has ever had. And now, you know, I'm just a little over 50, in spite of what you hear on video. And uh, I'm like, I don't think so. I don't usually say that, but I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I don't think so. But that's okay. It, to them, it's new and it's different and it's hard. And if that's all they're saying, then, then fine. We need to have some compassion for one another. Um, people who have had problems no one else has ever... People who, who, people who don't give a darn about what you have to face in the morning. We all know people like that, don't we? Just see if you're paying attention. People who are losers, but always point out the faults in others. Have you ever known anybody like that? <laughs> Just always you know, the biggest losers in the world, and they're always criticizing others. Give me a break. People who are so stinking self-centered, all they do is fault-find. People who are so concerned about living and dying that they are totally unaware of a thing called legacy and the legacy they're leaving. People who can't see beyond their own issues. 
one thing, at least one thing, I hope you'll leave here with this morning is if I'm going to be a person who can inspire others on a regular basis, I'm going to have to get outside of me, myself, and I. I'm going to have to get out of that. As hard sometimes as that may be. Listen, there is a huge, huge need for people to inspire, to coach, to stimulate others, to live, more, uh, live a life more concerned about the internal, about having depth in their relationships, about having more thoughtful living, about having greater victories in life, having more passion to elevate everyday living to something that's higher. There's a huge need for people who can help us do that. People who will help others break out of those daily rigors of their own individual stories that so often leads to boredom, staleness, or normalcy in a a negative way. People who can help us do that are far too few, and they are in great, great demand. That's what I want us to focus in on just for a couple of minutes here. And you're going to learn something. I'm going to tell you this right up front, and we're going to start here, and then I'm going to end with it too. I'm going to put it here in the middle, I'm going to put it in the end. And that is this, the one place that we can always go is to God. That's, that's what it means to have a relationship with God. To be able to go to God and say, God, here I am again. Need some help. I'm feeling pretty uninspired and pretty, pretty doggy, pretty, pretty, pretty bad. And I need some help. That's the one place we should always be able to go. I'm going to show you more about that in just a second. But real quick, let me, give you, let me give you three thoughts. Well, two, and then the third one I'll come back to. Infectious inspiration involves really three movements of thought. The first one is this. We need to get centered on others. That's the first thing. We need to get centered on others. Um, great American composer Aaron Copeland said this. This is really a great quote. Watch this. Inspiration may be a form of superconsciousness or perhaps of subconsciousness. I wouldn't know. But I am sure it is the antithesis of self-consciousness. <laughs> I know it's not self-centeredness. And if I'm going to be a one who inspires, the first thing I'm going to have to do is get my mind and my eyes off of myself. Just like the Gipper did. On his deathbed, for goodness sakes. You say, isn't that a trivial thing? Isn't that a trite thing to think about a football team when, when you're on your deathbed? That's all he knew. That was the world that he re- walked in, the world that he related to. You just take that, correlate that to your life in the world that you live in, with your family, with your business associates, with your, with your uh, circle of friends and so forth. Get centered on others. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He was talking about Jesus, and he made some application. Let me show you this. It's from the book of Philippians, and, and it says this, Philippians chapter 2. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Get centered on others. The uh, CNN TV commentator, interviewer, Larry King, wrote a book a few years ago. Interesting book. How to Be a Good Conversationalist, or something very similar to that title. And I took a look at it. I didn't buy it. I just was in a bookstore one day and just took a look at it. And, um, you know, bottom, bottom line, good book. 
from what I, what I could see of it, my, my gleaning of it. You know, what, you know what the bottom line was? Be interested in others, and you'll be a good conversationalist. That's true. That's true. Be interested in others. It's a biblical truth, you know. Don't know if he read the New Testament or not, but right there it is. All right? So get centered on others, number one. Number two, big, here we go. Before I give you this one, this second one, here is some of the best friendship, how to make friends. I mean, this is, this is the best thing. This is how to, how to be successful in business. This is how to, this is how to make money. Uh, it's all right here, right here from the Bible. You ready for this? Give unique value. Give unique value value. All right? Let me show you that. Um, do we have that up here, guys? We don't have Yeah, there we go. Give unique value. Um, I, have, I have had the opportunity, not as much here as I did in Vail, but it's, it's happening here some with some people. You talk to people all the time, and, and, and some, every so often you meet a young person uh, who's starting their career, and they're saying, I want to make, make a lot of money. I want to make a boatload of money. And here's what I usually say, not usually, this is what I always say if I have the opportunity to say anything. And that is, you know, maybe, maybe you should strive to give value to your client. And then the money will take care of itself. I've been fortunate in my life and my, my career, if that's what it is, as a, as a pastor, um, to know some phenomenally successful people uh, money-wise. And you know what? Not one of them started out saying, "I want to make a boatload of money." They started out saying, "Where can I? Where can I get my? Where can I? What can I get passionate about? What can I enjoy? And where can I help people with the gifts and the talents that I have?" And oftentimes, depending depending on what line of work you're in, obviously you can be the greatest teacher in the world, but you're probably not going to make a million dollars. So that's that that's just the nature of the. But if you're in, in the business world. So many times, those people who have been phenomenally successful money-wise just started out to, do, to, to meet a niche, to help people do something with their business or their consulting business or whatever it happens to be, you know, their, their financial firm. Einstein said this. Let me show you this. This is a great quote from Einstein. Try not to become a man of success, but rather to become a man of value. I like that. That is really good. A little Einstein stuff for you. Uh, in the Bible, there was this church called the Corinthian Church. It's in now what we call modern-day Greece. And there was a church there, this Corinthian church, and, and the Apostle Paul was writing to that church in what we call in the Bible 1 Corinthians. And he was talking about some people who had come there who had really contributed things of value. And I want to show you this. It's a really neat little verse in 1 Corinthians, the end of the, in the, end of the book. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17. It goes like this. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. They gave value. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. These guys came, they saw a niche, something that wasn't being met, and they said, hey, here's what we can do in our own unique way, with our own giftedness, with our own talent. Here's what we can do, something of value. And, and the apostle, and we don't even know what that was. Paul doesn't even, the apostle doesn't even mention that. He just says, they came, something was lacking, they did it, and man, I appreciate it. That's, that's, that's being a person of value. Doesn't mean you have to do something that somebody else is doing or, or try to follow, on, you know, whatever. It, it means 
whatever I can do, that's what I do. And I, I maximize those gifts and those talents. I do the very best I can with those gifts and those talents to be a person of value wherever that happens to be. Some of you have to make those choices. Um, I was interesting. I was just listening, and I was in a conversation with some, some women the other day, who, some of whom who had made career choices, in, in one or two cases, to, to leave their career to be at home with the kids. In a couple of other cases, they had just, they had stayed in their career, but it obviously made some sacrifices for the children and so forth. It was, so it was a good mixture. But they were talking about that and how their whole thing is very interesting. I wish I could have taped the conversations because to me it was just very, just a great learning experience. To, and I've heard it before, but it was just really great to hear that reinforced. Um, as they were talking about some of the things um, that they were grateful for, some of the things that they had received affirmation for, some of the qualities that they had seen in their kids and so forth, because they had made some choices, you know, to be the person of value as it applied to them. In one or two cases, they had totally left their career. In another one, they just went at their career with a little less intensity than what they might have otherwise, so they could spend more time with their family and so forth. Interesting thoughts, right? Well, I don't know how that works with you, but maybe you can figure that out. That's the deal there, okay? As it would apply for all of us. So give unique value. That's the point. Third thing is what I started to touch on a few moments ago. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. Now, you say, does this just mean you just give your life to Christ and, and follow Him? Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm talking more than that. Because here's the thing. I want, I'm going to show you a passage here in just a moment from the Bible. Now, let me make something very clear. I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus came in my place and died for me and for my sins and lives today to give me new, uh, e- e- eternal, and abundant life. I believe that. Now, what does that have to do with this? Well, because the Bible also tells us that we can receive inspiration from Christ in how we live our lives today, here, and now, on earth. Okay? And, and I want to show you that passage because it's uh, it just... I I love going there. And in some cases, you know, you may think about, you know, how did Jesus do? How did Jesus walk? And and there was even a real popular thing a few years ago. Uh, It's still around. People wore wristbands, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it's kind of a, I mean, it it got, I think, a little trite and a little trivial at the time. But you you can't criticize the the thought behind it and and the spirit of that. There were athletes wearing, some still do, wearing these little wristbands. That's just kind of an interesting little thing. So let me just show you this. Let me show you this from Hebrews chapter 12. Um, do you see, just, just follow along, I got it for you on the screen. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, let's go back a minute, stop. Um, um, yeah, go back. Um, I don't want you reading ahead, see there? I saw some of you reading ahead. Um, here's what he's talking about, all these pioneers that have gone ahead. Hebrews 12, I'm, I'm going to give you an earth-shaking thing right here. Hebrews 12 comes after Hebrews 11, okay? Took four years of a theology degree to figure that out. No, um, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 goes through, I'm being, I'm being facetious, but not really. Hebrews 11 goes through a whole list of Old Testament great men and women and all their accomplishments. Some people call that the faith Hall of Fame. I don't know if you want to call it that or not. But in Hebrews chapter 11, he goes through Abraham, and Moses, and David, and Elijah, and maybe some, maybe some names. Maybe you've heard of Deborah, um, Gideon. Maybe you've heard of those names. Maybe you have, they're all Old Testament. He goes through a whole list of them. So he's referring back to them. Okay? 
And we're not going to go through all that now, but I just want you to see where we're going. Okay, now go back, back to Hebrews chapter 12. Here we go. Do you see what all this means? All these pioneers, he's referring back to Hebrews 11, who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get, get on with it, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through. That, watch this, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. And it does. Many times, it happened just recently, I will get into a situation where I I have the opportunity and the privilege sometimes of helping when people are in crisis situations. And I was in a situation like that. And and it was one of those deals where I had a little time between each time I would meet with these people, and, and it was very difficult, and I didn't know what to do, which isn't all that unusual. But, but I really didn't know what to do. And, and, and what I always, almost always do in those situations is I ask myself, what would Jesus do? I mean, that, that's, that's a loaded question. Because I'll tell you two or three things about that. Number one, I really don't know. Jesus did some things that just, I st- I've read the Gospels, I don't know how many times, I still go back and I still, I still read them sometimes. I go, I can't believe he did that. The Son of God, I can't believe he would do that. He surprises me. Had I been living and had I been one of his disciples, I would have been there, Lord, what are you doing? You know? So I don't always, first of all, I don't always know what Jesus would do. Number two, in situations that I've been in where there have been maybe some dysfunction or some, some sickness or some mental problems or whatever it happens to be, you know what Jesus would do? He'd just heal everybody. Well, so far, I don't have those kind of powers, okay? I like to have them, but I don't. So you, you can go there, and you may not always get the right answer, but here's where I, here's where I come away from. At least I can be inspired by what I know, how Jesus would have approached that with an attitude of love, compassion, fairness and firmness, but love and compassion and patience. So my point is this, these, this. When you read these verses, when you read these verses from Hebrews chapter 12, I mean, that's, just, that's inspirational to me. Look how Jesus did this. Look how he lived this life. And that, that power, that ability is available to me and to you. And that's when we just ask God for it. God, help me to know what to do, even though that doesn't mean God's going to send you a letter and give you a one, two, three. Help me to know the right attitude to have. And God, most importantly, help me, as you do me, as, as Christ does me, help me to inspire others that come into my path. I, want to, I have a prayer. I want to read this prayer for you. Um, it's a prayer that I wrote. I'm going to, I'm going to get Steve and, and Grace and the band come on up because um, I want to end with a song. It's a song that I think just says it all. So I want you, and I want you to hear this. This is really, we, you've heard it before. We've done it before. But I just, in, in light of our context, I think it's really good. But I want to read this prayer for you. I don't have it for you on PowerPoint. I will have it for you on the website later today in our Afterthoughts uh, link when you look at our website. I'll have it for you there. Um, Because I think this is the prayer that we really need, each one of us. 
and I would say every day, I would say, <laughs> I would say probably almost every hour. Um, the prayer goes like this. Just listen. God, help me to be inspired today by your life, the life of Jesus. And God, help me just as much to be a living source of inspiration to those that you put in my path. God, help me to be inspired today by your life and by Jesus, by how he lived. And God, help me just as much to be a living source of inspiration to those who you put in my path.